I think one of the things that has stared many people in the face through this experience is we're living under constraints that we haven't had to deal with before. And at the same time, we're living under a level of uncertainty that is really throwing people off. I think the reality is that life has always been uncertain. It's just that we could kind of hallucinate ourselves into thinking that we had more control over things. And now we're realizing that maybe we don't have the same level of control and there's just circumstance. Welcome to Cross Pollination, a show about doing things differently. We're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. This week, we're talking creativity, change, innovation, and the pandemic with Janice Francisco in a two-part episode. Janice Francisco is the founder of Bridgepoint Effect, a company that helps teams collaborate better, work smarter, and workplaces be more creative and innovative. If you've listened to the show for a little while, you might have heard us chat with Janice nearly two years ago. In that episode, we talked about creativity, curiosity, and change, and how companies can innovate better. Since then, everything has changed. In this episode, Janice tells us what she's seen happen over the past year and what companies and the people leading and working in them can do to adapt, stay afloat, and what they might think about heading into the future. It's what we can do when uncertainty is the most likely certainty. As a hint, it has a lot to do, unsurprisingly, with getting calmer, getting positively creative, and getting curious. Janice kicks things off with three big changes that have come like unexpected and unasked guests to organizations everywhere. There's been so much change. Um, you know, we could, I don't know where, where to even start. I think, I think, um, I think a few things have changed and what, what we're noticing and what we're hearing from our clients is, uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Let's put it this way. There's a few things. We changed. We had to make a quick change, right? We were forced into, uh, there's no negotiating. This is what we're doing. We're going home. We're staying at home. We're doing, right? So everywhere went into that. But when we went into that, the assumption was we were going in it for a short time. It was a, it was a temporary thing. You know, what's really funny, Nima, we are... A year later, <laughs> a year later in Canada since we did this, and many places in the world have too. And I'm sitting in Toronto where we are still in lockdown. We are still in stay at home, and we are quite restricted in our movement. And quite frankly, it doesn't look like we're getting out of that in any hurry. So I know it's different in, in all places, but. So I think what happened was that organizations made decisions and did their best thinking this was temporary, but it's not been temporary and it might go on the way that we've changed the workplace is going to continue in some form going forward. So what I'm hearing from clients is, you know, we did these things thinking this and it worked for a while, but now that we realize we're in the middle of this and we don't know when we're getting out of it, that isn't working for us. It was okay if it was temporary, but it is not okay for us 
if it's longer. And so what I'm hearing from leaders is they're they're rethinking and reevaluating the decisions they made around how their teams are working, the collaboration that they want to have, and they're looking for alternative solutions, but they're not quite sure what they're looking for. So I think that's one thing that's changed. It's it's not temporary, it's permanent. What does that mean? The second thing that's changed I think is the leader's job. I see leaders hugely overburdened and overwhelmed because in the past, run the business, we manage the people, we got stuff done, and now we're managing people's emotions, we're managing people's at-home challenges, we're managing how the heck am I going to get this work done? (laughs) we're managing being in a virtual environment when we used to be able to run into a room and just figure stuff out. We're managing through, I don't have the sight line on what is happening with my team in the same way that I did before. You know, in the past I could look out my office window and go, yeah, it looks like they're collaborating. Yeah. It looks like they're looking for alternative. Now I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't see that. And so How do I reconcile that for myself as a leader? So I think those are two major things that have happened. And I think the third thing that's happened is that we have a workplace that didn't do a good job of collaboration to begin with. (laughs) Nobody liked the fact that they couldn't, uh, you know, collaborate well across functions. It was difficult to collaborate, even though we understood, you know, if we were working in a more innovative environment or those, we needed to do that. But I think now, you know, yes, we're at, yes, we're in a virtual world and we've learned a lot about functioning and, and surviving in that sort of an environment. But the challenge I'm seeing is that, that many organizations haven't quite understood and it, I think the light bulbs are starting to go off. They haven't quite understood that having tech tools that enable collaboration is not the same as being able to collaborate. And so where where we're stepping in to play a role for clients that's quite different than us before, where in the past we would teach people, um, you know, the nuances of, of creative collaboration. Uh, now, we're also having to help them understand how to do that well and in a in a way that's safe and productive. And, and I don't mean COVID safe. I mean safe emotionally to contribute in that way uh, in an, and in an environment that, that is very different. Three things that have changed adds up to pretty much everything. It's no wonder a lot of us are wrestling with stressful times and a lot of demands. Back in the good old days, when it might have felt like things were more stable, what did regular collaboration look like? And what did Bridgepoint Effect do? How did they work with companies back then? I'm Janice Francisco. I am the founder. And I started the company back in 2001. And what I what inspired the start of the company was the fact that I had been working as a change manager and a coach on a lot of large business transformation type projects, the stuff where they go in and rehaul the tech or they're doing quite a lot of change to the organization itself. And I noticed something pretty curious. I noticed that 
when teams, uh, a lot of the teams I was working with ended up in a situation that was a little outside of the normal, or it was a situation where they really did need to come together and work together, uh, you know, solving problems as a team. They had some difficulty around that and it got me curious. And so I was looking for ways to help teams work better together and help them over those weird uncertain times and and help them feel that they were you know moving in the right direction and that's when we started the company and uh, you know the focus was you know how do we help how do we help teams find innovative solutions uh, to the day-to-day and the challenging things that they're facing and so our company is really focused around providing guidance tools and training uh, to help teams win, right? To help them get through those tough situations and and have the confidence to be able to come together as a team and really move through uh, the the challenges and the activities that they need to do. Different types of collaboration is certainly a lot about what this past year has looked like, as well as immense disruption. What does good collaboration, productive collaboration look like? I really wasn't aware even myself that that's what was lacking. What I realized was people were kind of caught in a, what I call a problem solution paradox. They'd have a problem, they'd rush to a solution, they'd go and do the work and then they'd go, that didn't quite work the way we needed. Or they'd implement a solution and and to, uh, to a challenge they were facing and found that it wasn't exactly hitting the mark and so it was just that they weren't they didn't have a deliberate process to think very deeply or very broadly or to really focus in on what are our options and our opportunities here what what are the many ways we could do this as opposed to the one way we can do this (laughs) right we all want to be efficient and we want to you know we want to get stuff done and and so there's this angst about, you know, let's just get something done. Let's show that we're being productive. And often that's not driving the thinking and the breakthroughs that the organization really needs. So it was really, you know, how do you teach people or how do you help people get to that place where they understand the value as well as the discipline around doing that and see the results from making that kind of an investment. And that's, that's really what we do. And it, Turns out that the magic formula was getting people out of that critical thinking, that knee-jerk reaction, and showing them how to harness creative thinking and use that. So, Creative thinking is something a lot of us have had to do over the past year, and not always out of choice, as we've talked about, and not necessarily from the fun, flow-state, let's-get-creative mindset either, out of necessity. So what can we expect over the next little while in the immediate future? How might work and collaboration, creativity, and all those things we might be doing while we're at work doing our jobs likely to look over the next few months? Will it be different if many of us are still working from home or are we all heading back to the office? Well, it's really interesting because I I think many organizations, again, as I said, they were hoping that, that they'd be by you know, by last fall, they'd be in a position to start bringing people back to work. But what I'm finding and hearing from the organizations I work with is that they've been pretty well told to expect to be home 
definitely through to the fall of this year and likely again for the balance of the year. I'm I'm hearing from many of the leaders that I'm working with that they have set up committees or groups to examine what will work from home versus work from office be. You know, a lot of them own their buildings and obviously want to take advantage of that space. A lot of them are seeing some challenges around people working, uh, you know, not being in close proximity. uh, And that's having psychological impact on well-being for people, you know, social, all of that stuff. I mean, I don't have to talk about that. But so I think there's challenges there. And the other thing that's becoming starting to rear its head um, you know, it's not simple to say let's work from home because apparently there are implications. Uh, I know there's been a lot of movement. People have moved provinces in Canada. They've moved cities. There's been exodus out of the big cities. Some people are going, well, why don't you, I even have to stay in this country? Why don't I go work somewhere else? But apparently, if you are an employee shifting where you live, it has tax implications and and payroll implications for your for your employer. It's not as simple as saying I'm just somewhere else. So I think that's the next wave of complexity around this, and it might drive people saying, uh, "No, we're we're not figuring out this problem now." On top of all of the other ones that we have to deal with, you're coming back to work. So I think they're just gonna. I think they're gonna figure that out and. And, and a lot of my clients are saying they're they're looking for some sort of a hybrid where they're just going to make people come back, but understand that they might not want to come back full time. Uh, so who knows? Right. I think it's going to be different everywhere uh, for every for I think it'll be dependent on the size of the business, the kind of business. Um, there's so many things that come into play with this. Right. There's not there's not one answer to it. This episode is brought to you by Shift Podcasts by Alberta Innovates. Shift showcases the work being done in the province's innovation ecosystem, everything from health to clean energy. Join hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen as they interview the researchers, entrepreneurs, and businesses that are shifting our perspective about innovation in the province. Find Shift Podcasts by Alberta Innovates on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at shift.albertainnovates.ca. That's shift.albertainnovates.ca. As that ad tells you, one of the big themes on this show is innovation, and it's a theme in Bridgepoint Effect's work as well. What does that look like in the near future, especially while things are still highly uncertain and we don't know entirely what to expect? What can organizations innovate for? How do they do it? And what should they be aiming at? You know, it's really interesting. My, I don't think we can look at innovation in the same way now as we did before i think um so again i think your experience of innovation is completely dependent on the situation your organization found itself in as a result of this if you were in a a business industry that was declared not essential man you've got a completely different you know like how the hell do you innovate when they've completely shut your industry down? Do you focus on where the puck's going in, I don't know, 18 months, you know, another two years? Who knows, right? So 
what's the innovation they need to do? Will they need to completely change what they do? Will they be able to go back? There's so there's there's challenges there. If you were an industry that was allowed to stay open but under restricted conditions, or a business, um, many of them had to pivot, adapt, shift. Uh, we saw changes to business models. We saw changes to product lines. You know, uh, take a look at the restaurant industry where here in Canada, most of them have had to operate in takeout mode. Well, okay. Um, if you're a gourmet restaurant that's focused on delivering beautiful experiences and ambiance, how do you recreate that in a takeout package? You're not going to deliver the same thing. And you might not be delivering the same amount of stuff, you know, which means the menu items have to change. The pricing has to change. There's, you know, so they've had to flex and adapt and be innovative in a lot of different ways. So, and then there's been places that have had to completely revolutionize and do something different. So I think what we're seeing is more examples of the range of innovation that's necessary. And I think what we're seeing is that there's more of an awareness of what we're innovating is really dependent on the context within which we're in. And in my experience prior to this, that was not apparent to many people. So I think what's happened is you know when you when you step back and look at what innovation is innovation is changing something let's face it you if you're innovating you are adapting shifting creating new introducing new you are changing something now what has been absolutely apparent in our society for the last year everything's changing so now we're focused on change. We're not really talking about innovation as much. And we're talking about how people have been really creative and adapted. And we're talking about how they've been innovative. But really, I think what people have done is they've done what they've needed to do to survive and respond to extenuating circumstances. Is that innovation? Yeah, I think it is. Is it what we thought innovation was before? I don't know, because a lot of people had the impression that innovation was new, novel, never seen before. And there's a crap load of innovation happening when I'm changing my business model, I'm adapting my menu, I'm figuring out how to do curbside delivery if I work in retail and I want to survive. I'm completely digitizing my business when we had never done that before in a short time. That is innovation. That's, that is some level of innovation and shift. So I think, um, you know, and I think we've done a lot of things because we've had to. So we've made choices and made decisions to just get things done. And much as the example, as I said, with the organizations, they've had to innovate the way they work, but they're realizing that how they're working isn't necessarily working. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so there's this paradox of, 
you know, how are we innovating? What are the results we're getting? Are we getting what we want? Or is it that we're re are we reacting, right? So maybe that's the differentiation I want to make. Yes, we are being creative. Yes, we are being innovative. But are we truly going through an innovative process where an innovation process where we're thinking things through well, and and holding the clear purpose and reasons for doing it? If, if our reason and motivation was simply to survive and thrive, we might not be getting the results that we want long term, right? We did what we needed to do, but it may not serve us long term. So that's involuntary innovation under high pressure and abrupt need for change. But as we've seen very obviously over the past year, change is continuous and things are still changing now. Are they going to go back more towards what we knew as normal as large-scale vaccination goes forward in a lot of regions? Are we ready to accept things going back or having had a chance to think about our priorities a lot in the past year? What do we want to go back to? How will it look different from where we were before? We're still very much in circumstances of uncertainty and ambiguity. Typically, that's something Janice and Bridgepoint Effect have been thinking about a lot over the past year. How can we make decisions? How do we plan in organizations when the immediate future is still uncertain? What do we do? What decisions can we make when we can't know where we're going? At least not for sure. So I think part of the challenge is that I think one of the things that has stared many people in the face through this experience is the there, there's there's two things maybe. One is we're, we're, we're living under constraints that we haven't had to deal with before. And at the same time, we're living under a level of uncertainty that is really throwing people off. And I think the reality is that life has always been uncertain. It's just that we could kind of hallucinate ourselves into thinking that we had more control over things. And now we're realizing that maybe we don't have the same level of control and there's just circumstances. So, you know, there's no need for creativity if there aren't constraints, none at all. We, we, we innovate and, and, and be creative when we are operating under constraints, but, and the challenge with, operating under these kinds of conditions is that when we're in that react mode, we're operating kind of from what I call Maslow's lowest level, right? Everybody knows Maslow. And if we're at that, if, if we're, we're focused on our survival and our safety, and let's face it, we have all had a whole lot of stuff drummed into us about safety that I think is being misinterpreted. And, and, and so what, what happens is when you're operating at that, it overloads your system and it shuts down your ability to think. And if there's one thing I'm hearing many people saying, it's like, no one's thinking, <laughs> we're just doing, right? We're just doing, cause we just gotta get stuff done because there's all these things going on at home that we're managing. There's all of that other stuff. And so it's really difficult 
to be in that place. And, and I think a major condition for being able to bring out your creativity, for being able to tap that creative thinking where you can get a different and a better result uh, rather than the one right thing that that's all I can manage right now is being able to be at, at mindful, you know, at this, you've got to be mindful of what you're doing. Why am I doing this? What's the bigger purpose? And we have to be aware of how we're feeling in that moment. And if we can't bring that to the table, we're not thinking. We're not tapping creative thinking and we won't ever get to a different different response other than that safety, fear-based, reactionary thinking. That naturally enough leads to other questions. In an atmosphere of uncertainty, change, and sometimes lots of stress and anxiety, how do we be creative? How do we settle our minds to get into that creative mode and make decisions regardless of the ambiguity of the circumstances? You know, there were many people that I would recommend you know, recognize as being very creative people, people who knew how to think very deeply and, and go with this. But you know what, this has been hard on all of us. And and we've we really got to harness that emotion and and understand, you know, what we're doing. And if we're not able to connect to that broader purpose, it becomes very difficult to navigate uncertainty because you get completely unhinged, right? This is why you get distracted. This is why you can't concentrate. It's if you cannot hold that vision of what is that grander purpose and your grand purpose at home might be very different than your grand purpose at work, but that's what we need to rally around to be able to move through that because that's the only way we can make decisions and, and, and understand, okay, you know what? That is not a priority right now. This is a priority. And, and that's what people have been struggling with. Is it's, they, they can't nail themselves to something or tether themselves to something to help them move through that uncertainty. And that's just so important. So that's where we've been over the past year, through some tough and challenging times with forced pivots and obligatory innovations. And we're still walking through the woods of uncertainty. But there are tools and ways to help get us through that, however messily or grandly we do it. In the next part of this episode, we look with Janice at some of the keys to moving through and figuring it out. Not surprisingly, she mentioned it involves emotional agility, getting better and smarter at managing how we feel about the shifts happening around us or the ones that are needed. And of course, creativity's little sister, curiosity. Listen to part two to see how it happens. In the meantime, if you're interested in knowing more about Janice and Bridgepoint Effect's work, you can find them at bridgepointeffect.com or on Twitter at creative underscore Janice. If you're interested in connecting with us, you can reach the show on Twitter at Polinata1 on our website, crosspollination.co, or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcatchers everywhere. Thanks for listening as always and bringing your curiosity to this show. See you shortly. This episode of Cross Pollination is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. 
Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligation comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you're helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca.